Uh, your book? Now that you know how to access the book, the ones that don't have it yet, I didn't send the, the date for the, the preview. So you have until next weekend, fully. So you have enough time. But no, do notice that it's two assignments that are going to be due. So it's going to be for this past one and for the current one. They open and close, it, so you have to be up to date. When it says, it, if I have it at 11.30 to close, it closes at 11.30. It just, it won't, it doesn't budge from there. So it was extended, you have an opportunity. I do want you to do those previews. I know you've heard uh, from uh, previous semesters that we've had that have been through the fifth semester. They do, I don't know if you've heard, you don't have to read, you'll pass, blah, 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 blah. Every semester, semester is different, okay? So I have students say, I was told I didn't need to read, and then I come in, and we have to read a lot, and we're passing. So, yes, you do need to read, okay? Previous investors are going to tell you a bunch of stuff, and then you're going to be your own experience. So I do want you to read. Um, I have a very concerned clinical instructor that you her, her was not reading, and she was very upset about it. So please, if you have a sign from your clinical instructor, to do your reading, but please, this is, you're now in nursing. Take advantage of all the tools that are offered to you. You need to prepare right now. And from all the stories you've heard, you've heard about six semesters. You stay where you swim, okay? What you do now is gonna help you. You, look, get your previews out of the way. Get your reasons out of the way. Do all your readings prior to going to lab, going to didactic. You get used to it, you you get to use these good habits, guess what, you're gonna carry it on when you move to fifth semester. You're gonna carry it on when you move to seventh semester and when you're out to your final semester and when you're out in the real world. So start, don't take this as, ah, this is an easy breathing semester, pool instructor is all next. No, don't take this semester, don't take the advantage of it right now because right now you can t you can prepare yourself to what's coming because you only have in health assessment you're only taking one class when you go to fundamentals in a few weeks you're going to be taking two classes one online and one a physical face to face you're going to be thrown into the ocean six semesters you're now going to have three classes and two of them are going to have clinicals so you're going to have to learn how to manage your time. And guess where you can practice that? Here in this semester. When you have the time to, this is this will work, let me try this, and then I'll apply it. So this is a semester to take advantage to prepare you. Okay? Do read. Do study. Um, please, I don't want any clinical instructors calling me and telling me that my students are not reading. Okay? I don't want to hear it. I, I want to hear, oh, they're, they're reading, they're participating, they're active. Okay, you find the content boring? I hope not, because you want to be a nurse and you need to learn this. Okay, if you find the content boring, then I think you need to look at something else. Okay, because this is all you're going to be seeing from, the, from now till you're out of here and until you continue. Because most of you, I hope that you want to continue with your master's uh, degree, right? For a nurse practitioner or for... Uh, science or anything else. So it's this is what it's going to be. So please, please, please pay attention. You are now 
a nursing student, there are many people out there that wish and pray they were in your seat right now. And you know it. You know it. There's many, many, many people that wish they were here right now, taking advantage of this. So please, please value, value your seat, value what you have, uh, you, you've been chosen to, to be a part of nursing as nurses. Uh, I see every one of you, I see every one of you caring. Demonstrate your caring. You're here in this field, you, you selected nursing. There must be a reason why you selected nursing. It's not easy. It's not easy in any way, shape, or form. So you're here, you selected it. So take, take advantage of it, value it. It is yours. You're now a nursing student you're to become a nurse. Feel it, live it, and, 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 and be proud of it, okay? If you, um, I don't know um, what, if there's a disinterest or I don't know, I don't know, but I, I'm hoping uh, you are enjoying you're enjoying it right now. I try to make it as fun as I can, okay? I do. So, but it's, it is nursing. We are getting, sometimes you have to throw in real stuff and, and, and work the lungs. Okay, so please, 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 if you need anything, if you feel um, stressed, I, I have a, we have, Mr. Rupa and I have now a little sign that says, Bienvenidos, you're welcome here. Okay, so anytime you want to stop by and talk to us about anything that is going on, uh, something you don't understand why this is occurring, uh, I don't like you, anything, okay? <laughs> it's better that you tell me face to face that you don't like me. That way we can resolve an issue or something that's going on. Uh, and, and so we can talk about, okay, what's going on here? How am, I, how am I not helping you? How am I helping you? How can I help you, okay? As much as I offer, for you to have, I want you to give me the same. Okay, I want you to give me your 110% as much as I am offering what I can to give you. Okay, I want you to give it to us as well. In, in health assessment and going on to fundamentals. In fundamentals, you are going to be now actually taking care of patients, taking care of a real patient. Going in there, talking to them, touching them, assessing them, <coughs> getting to know their family members. So, in a few weeks, that's what you're going to be doing. You're going to be giving in injections in a few weeks on a real patient. You're going to be uh, assessing their skin. Uh, you're going to actually probably for the first time see, see someone that is naked. I remember one student, I've never seen anyone naked. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so this, you're going to have a lot of first-time experiences, and it's very important. So make sure, make sure you take advantage of this, okay? Take advantage of this. Prove to your clinical instructor that you are reading, that you are a good student, you will become a good nurse, okay? So if they're presenting challenges for you, that's good. You have to meet that challenge. If you feel you can't meet that challenge, then you're going to have to think about your choices here. So if the clinical instructors are presenting you with challenge, meet that challenge. Give them that you, show them that you can do it and you can do even more, okay? That's, that's uh, just a, was a highlight of my day yesterday. So I just ask you to, to go ahead and uh, whatever preparation you need to do, you need to prepare. That's why you have all those readings there. We left off in techniques of assessment. And of course, I forgot my stethoscope, and I had it ready last week. Okay.
you need to do the pre-simulation and post-simulation quiz and the actual simulation. These are the scenarios and those are, and that is a date. That is due. Yes? Um, how do we know, like how do we know when we know enough to try one of those? Once you're done reading your chapter and doing your prep you. Okay, so for Josephine uh, Morrow, she's the first one. So she's in the beginning of the chapter. So, so we have, so you have Josephine, you have Sarah and Marvin Hayes. Okay, Marvin, I believe he is, I'm not sure, it's abdominal. So that's when you would go about. But you can do them over and over again. That way you go in there and, oh, I haven't read on that chapter yet. Okay, so you can go ahead and, and you can do it and do them and do them and do them. Okay, it, it's better for you for practice. So those are the B-SIM. So it's B-SIM 1, 3, and 5. And because at the end of the course, and I'm, I'm checking your B-SIMs and I'm going over them and to see if you have 
uh, completed this. If you, and this has happened every semester, I have a couple of students that will do this. They'll do case one, two, and three, and we tab it in fundamentals as well. So pay attention in fundamentals. Actually, in fundamentals, I saw it more this time around. Case one, two, and three. They'll complete case one, two, and three, and case two won't count. So they'll lose points there. It has to be case one, three, and five. Okay, so pay attention, you complete those and uh, in fundamentals as well because they will, they will change. So I had a student do one, two, and three. So he did not read, no, actually he, in fundamentals it was number one and number six, so it jumped, so he actually went to B6. So make sure that you, you know which B6. So I go by their names. You're gonna do Josephine, Sarah, and Marvin. Josephine, Sarah, and Marvin. Okay, that way just write it down. That way you know which ones are the ones that you need to do. So what did you say the screenshots? What are the screenshots? The screenshots? Oh, okay. This is just just for you. Okay? Uh, it happened happened to me, but let's say you you come you completed it and you have in your screen that it's completed. hundred percent, you did the least and you have hundred percent on your your quiz, your post quiz, you have 100%. Save that, screenshot that, save it. In case, in case I don't see it, I don't know, something technical happened, okay? And you come to, and I, I can't see it, it's disappeared and it says you haven't done it or you have a zero or some other grade. And then you come to this, I got 100, I got 100. Well, show it to me, and you have it, you prove it, okay? That's, that's why, that's for your own record. Just in case something does happen. I think something happened in sixth semester or so that uh, they, they included this, okay? But it hasn't happened to me yet. I was able to see and not lose anyone. So this is just for you. Don't feel that that overwhelmed yet. 
Okay? You'll be overwhelmed in a, in a few months. <laughs> then, so we have the techniques of assessment. So we have inspection. Inspection is when we look at our patient and we're assessing as they come in. Okay, so I think I left off. We did hand hygiene. <coughs> when, okay, so you know hand wash soap and water. You practiced yesterday. You used a little glow germ and see how well you washed your hands. When you use a hand rub, you want to use at least two, two pumps of it. Okay, not just skimp on it and do at, at least two pumps of the hand, alcohol hand rub for, for effective hand washing. So when you're using the pump that uh, when you go into a patient's room and out of a patient's room, you at least go twice, one, two, okay? And then that's, that's effective and not, not just one. Go ahead and get two. And when you leave the patient's room, you, you get another two for hand washing. Very important, remember, hand wash before you go into the patient's room, after you get out of the patient's room, okay? Uh, alcohol rub. Make sure you're washing your hands. Make sure you're practicing it in your skills lab. When you're doing your, your practice and you're knocking, before you knock, you can wash your hands and then you knock and then you're leaving and hand wash again. So practice it in your lab a lot. That way you can get used to it. Make sure you're practicing that. Make sure you, you, you tell your instructor, look, I'm washing, okay? And when you're leaving, look, I'm washing. So make sure you, you practice this and uh, uh, so you can get used to it. Then when you enter patient's room, it feels strange because this is a habit now that you form. Make it a habit. And when you don't do it, you notice so no bad habits yet, okay? You'll pick those up so easily, but please, please practice the good habits. So get used to doing that, uh, washing your hands. So I think it's standard precautions I just covered. So inspection. So when you're gonna be inspecting your patient, you need to let your patient know that you're gonna be looking at their body. Okay, I'm gonna be assessing, looking at your body. Uh, I'm gonna be checking for any incisions. Um, if they have dressings, you let them know. I'm gonna be looking at your dressing uncovering, uh, looking at the wound. You ask for permission, is it okay? And in practice, you ask, is it okay if I take your blood pressure? Is it okay if I, I, I assess your body, if I examine you? Is it okay if I examine you? You always ask for permission. They're not just going in there and touching everything. You're asking for permission. You drape your patient. So very important, drape your patient, cover up your go, uh, breast, genitalia, and especially your children, your elderly, and your adolescents. Your elderly, I did mention this last time, they um, get cold very easily. I don't know if you've noted, if you've uh, been around an elder, they get shivery. Oh, this is cold here. And it's like, oh, what do you mean it's cold? So make sure you offer a blanket for them. Offer a blanket so you can cover them up. And the adolescent, maintain that confidentiality. The body image at this age is very, very uh, important for them. They're very self-aware they're developing so they don't know if they're developing at the appropriate way at age or what is so they're very very self-aware of their body so we are very careful with them 
we need to make sure we're adequately exposing each area. So as we're the chest, when we're assessing, for males, it's easier. We can expose our chest. When, we're, when you do your assessment, you expose, the male student, you're gonna be exposed, okay? So you're gonna expose your, the, your males, and, and, but for a female, we can't do that, okay? So we make sure we, we maintain them covered and then we do our assessment, okay? With, uh, in the lab, for, your, for the girls, you're gonna be wearing a sports bra, okay? So we'll be able to expose easier access so to the, to the lung zones and the heart zones. So you'll be wearing a sports bra. But the, the males, uh, we, we'll, you'll be exposing your, your chest. Unless you're very, no, 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 you can wear uh, um, those uh, sleeveless, what is it called? The white beater, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I heard it was tough. So you can, if you wanna wear one of those. I don't know why they're called white beaters, but. <laughs> That's horrible, isn't it? But you do what I mean, right? Okay, so, or if you, you wanna expose your chest, go ahead, okay? So, now it depends on your instructor. It depends on your, so some of your instructors like, nope, no, nothing, nothing. So, depend on, but, but girls uh, with your sports bra, okay? So make sure, so we're gonna be assisting, this is when we get to cardio, when we get to respiration. So, sometimes I can think, oh my gosh, I forget I'm being recorded. Um, <laughs> you do want to perform a general survey. Kind of covered this yesterday. So a general survey is as you, you're inspecting. General survey is just the inspection. When they come in, where you walk into the room, you're looking at your patients their age, their gender, their body size, shape, their skin color, hygiene, any odors, do you smell any odors? What is it, no odor, okay. It's stepped out of the shower odor, body odor from no bath for seven days. Okay. So you need to uh, use all your senses. That's the, the uh, general survey, general survey. So alert, awake, oriented, once you do your assessment, you do the history, uh, time three, appear stated age of 67, okay? And so you start identifying your patient. This is general survey. We'll go over general survey when we do vital signs. It goes hand in hand. Your general survey, then we go into the vital signs. Adequate exposure. If a patient has Something, some device that doesn't allow you to see, or to inspect, to assess, we can go ahead and, and move. Let's say they have um, those TED hole stockings. So while in, in inspection, you notice that they have the TED hole stockings. You can't touch them yet, so you can't really assess edema. Or you can't see the skin color because they have those stockings. So we know when we get to do the physical assessment, we'll remove the stocking and then we'll, we'll assess for skin color and, and uh, any edema, okay? So if they have anything, any, any, or a cast, anything that is impeding your, your inspection, when we go into the, the actual palpation, the physical uh, uh, palpation percussion, we go and touch and remove if we have to. We can't remove a cast, right? But we can assess the pulses, 
Okay, so that's we're already looking in our inspection. Oh, this patient has tentacles. I'm gonna have to remove them. This patient has a, uh, a dressing that goes across the bone. You have to remove that to get a better assessment inspection. That is your inspection. So you're already making a list of what when you start palpating, what are you gonna be doing? Accurate documentation. So you're as you are doing your inspecting, you're gonna be documenting everything you see. Okay, so if you see a uh, mole noted to the left forearm, uh, once you're, you're doing the inspection, once we're gonna start the palpation, you're gonna measure, okay? Skin color, uh, natural to, to ethnicity, or skin color appears pale. This, so you're accurately documenting your, your assessment. So data, data is very important, and it, it's uh, it's, a, it's consistent. So it has to carry on and carry through. So if you note in your inspection that you did note uh, a mole to the to the left forearm, when you do the actual palpation, then you're gonna feel: is it raised? Is it rough? How, how does it feel? The texture. So you're gonna continue along your assessment, identifying what you you've inspected. So the, it continues, so the, just don't leave it up there. You found a mall and a mall and that's it. You didn't even look at it, touch it, or, or measure it, or anything. No, you have to be consistent. This data is going, is, it's a legal document, so you have to follow up. So anything you put in there, you need to follow up. With inspection continued, physical characteristics, odors again. So you're smelling your patient. Remember I told you you smell them? You are smelling your patient. You're identifying for poor hygiene. You're identifying if they they smell like uh, smoke, like they're smokers, like chain smokers. They just smell like smoke. Stool. Do they smell like stool? Do they smell like urine? So you're identifying all these odors or alcohol. If you smell alcohol, now if you smell these odors and it's in an inpatient setting, and your patient smells like alcohol and sounds like beer. You find out. Somebody might be sneaking in some beer for them. Okay, so you need to keep an eye and, and, and report it. So everybody's looking into who's going in and who's going out. So if you so always your senses, always use your senses. You keep so you can keep on uh, assessing them. They might somebody might be sneaking something in there for them. Behavior. Are they calm? Are they relaxed? Are they agitated? Are they anxious? You know, patient is calm, cooperative. Age, just appearing their state of age. Do they look older than their set state of age? Or do they look younger than their state of age? Level of alertness, again, alert, awake, oriented, times three. Are they disoriented to, to place? They don't know where they're at. Yeah, where are you at? I think I'm at home, and they're in a hospital setting. So disoriented and confused. Level of alertness. This is the ABPU that you practice in lab. Alert, alert, what is verbal? Key, pain, and then you? Unconscious. So we need to assess where there are, the alertness, what level are they? For pain, you, what you can, if they're not responding by their name, then you're gonna inflict pain, not too much, okay? You're gonna um, get a pen and just press the nail bed and try it, it hurts, okay? 
and, and press against the nail bed and see if they react, or you or, or sternal rubs, see if they react to pain. And if they do, patient reacts to pain, painful stimuli. The skin color. So again, you're noting the skin color. You're going to identify they're pale, they're red, they appear blue, cyanotic, yellow, jaundice. So you're just identifying the skin color are natural to their ethnicity. That's how we use normal. You know, we don't want to use normal in health assessment. We want normal findings. It's natural to their ethnicity, where you see it's a natural color for their ethnicity. Posture, are they restless? Are they pacing back and forth? Are they slumped? And then pay attention to the posture, because if they're slumped and unkept or just with their, their, their face down, just what reading do you get? And they're just, just looking down and, and slumped over and, and not, not, they have, you, you look at them, they have a bit of a body odor, they seem like they're not caring for themselves. Depression. So if you know depression, you need to follow your assessment. And you would actually start your uh, uh, a depression assessment tool if you do know this. This is where you will know that. Those are signs of depression. If they're slumped over, um, not, not raising their heads to see you, and they're, and unkept. they're not taking care of themselves. You may find uh, unkept appearance. You may find they, they don't even bother to eat. They don't even bother to go to the bathroom. If they feel like ha uh, having a bowel movement, they, they won't even bother to, to move. So look for those signs while you're doing your, your assessment. In uh, hygiene, back in hygiene, as you're assessing, you're, you're inspecting, note any signs for lice or scabies as well. So when you're doing your, your, your assessment, your inspection, note any, any, what are they doing? Are they scratching? So it makes, also uh, point that out. In body signs, I did tell you, oh no, I didn't cover body signs yet. Emaciated, if they look emaciated, obese, no, uh, average weight, overweight, and I don't know if they use this anymore, but I wouldn't put it on a budget just for fun. Apple shape or pear shaped, okay? So just think of average average weight, how they, or are you gonna uh, overweight? But if you do say overweight or obese, what are you gonna have to include? BMI. That's gonna justify. We can't say, oh, I think they're overweight or so or underweight. So we're gonna have to prove with our BMI and their stature, short or tall, at five feet two, five feet one, and make and you're inspecting that as well. My patient is short. My patient is tall. You're just looking, so you're just inspecting. And their level of comfort. Comfort. So you're looking at their face. Are they, do they look like they're in pain? But yet they, you, when you ask, do you have any pain now? And they say no, but their pain, face demonstrates it. They're very, there's some patients that are very stoic and won't complain. They don't like to complain. And they won't, won't admit it, so you have to make sure you read their faces. But it's still whatever the patient says. So, if you say, ask them, do you have any pain? And you notice they're grimacing, but they say, no, no pain. Th then ask, 
Are you having any discomfort? Some patients like discomfort rather than pain. And then they said, yes, I'm, I, we, we did have a patient this last time. He's, we would ask him, do you have any pain? And he said, nope, nope, nope. And then, but I have discomfort, he would say, on his own. So use both. If they, you see the facial grimacing and they, they don't know pain, do you have any discomfort? They say, yeah, I have discomfort. Throw in the scale. From zero to 10, where is your discomfort, okay? Some people don't, are very soy, don't want to, don't want to say that they are experiencing any pain. Now, this is the palpation. Now we're actually going to uh, touch our patient. We want to assess the texture, uh, location, where we're at the position. We're going to vibration. Did you practice some of the skills yesterday? Right now we'll practice with each other if you did. Edema. So we're, the purpose for palpation we're going to be feeling. We're going to be feeling for the temperature, for moisture, assessing for size and depth if uh, we feel uh, a growth. Where it is, the location, we're going to use vibration. With vibration, we're going to be doing uh, the identifying a patient, and we'll cover this in detail when we get to respiratory. If a patient has pneumonia, if we feel that they have fluid in the lungs, we do the um, tactile formitis, it's called. You use the the ulnar surface of your, your hand, or you use the ball of your hand, and you're gonna feel your, your patient's vibration. Let me, let me use these. So go ahead and test them up. Some of you might have practiced this already, but we'll cover it in detail when we get to uh, respiratory. So every time that you feel my hand, I can use the ball or I can use the ulnar surface. Every time you feel my hand, repeat 99. 99, 99, 99. Okay, so you feel the vibration. That, but that's where we use palpation as well. So go ahead and practice with each other. It's hard, it's, when you do it, when you do it on actual
what we feel, and it's going to be over skin, so it's harder over clothing, and it's harder over patient's gown, so it's over skin, that's why we're, we have to expose patients, and you're gonna expose each other. So you just palpate, and that 99, you feel the vibration, okay? That's what you're hoping. If normal, we should feel it. So all of you hopefully don't have any type of lung disease or pneumonia, then we should feel that, that vibration as you go down. When a patient has fluid, you're 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 not gonna feel that vibration. You're gonna feel dullness. It's not gonna feel like anything. So as you go down, you won't be able to feel that vibration. So that's what you're testing. Right now, all you're gonna have is normal because you all are healthy. You're not having any type of lung disease. So you're gonna assess normal. Once you go out the field, out in the field, if you have a patient with pneumonia. Take advantage of it and try it on them, okay? That way you can identify, oh, this is the abnormal. This isn't my lab. This is abnormal. So practice, practice, practice. And we're gonna do other other tests, echophony, uh, other tests that you're gonna learn to assess uh, fluid in the lungs. And this is what we're doing. So that is what, that is one with, that we use palpation. That is vibration. That's the one that we use vibration. Crepitus. Crepitus is when there's, there is oxygen below the skin, okay? And how crepitus feels, it feels when you are assessing your patient, and it is usually accidentally during intubation, surgery, they nicked a lung and, and air got, got into under, below the, the layer of the skin or it can happen with, with an infection with soil, a gas gangrene. That can also uh, happen where you have this leak of air under the skin. It feels like Rice Krispies. Like, let's say you put Rice Krispies inside a plastic bag and you do this, that's how exactly how it feels, okay? That is crepitus. Any tenderness, you're assessing for tenderness, so any, 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 Areas of you're 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 uh, palpating and then, oh it's tender right there, okay. So any areas of tenderness you're assessing with palpation you're assessing edema. How do you assess edema? You press down on on their uh, leg and if it's indentated and however long it stays indentated. So you count until it rises up. So if it's a plus four then it'll it'll take about four seconds for the skin to rise up. Okay, so th th that is what we use for palpation. Our finger pads are for fine discrimination. So what is that for? Our pulses. So we use our pulses for, it, uh, the, the finger pads are for pulses. It's also for, and we know, remember I told you about that mole we found in inspection? So here is where your finger pads will come in. Now you're gonna identify and feel the texture of that mold with your finger pads. Is it dry, is it thick, is it uh, 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 scaly? Do you describe that mold with your finger pads? So it's texture and edema, again. And your lymph nodes. When we cover head, head neck, I think, I believe it's Friday already, we're going to assess all the lymph nodes, preauricular, post-auricular, occipital, okay? So 
So clearly failure. So we're using our fingertips. We're using our fingertips to assist the lymph, the lymph nodes. Now the Palmer, we're gonna, when we're using the, the Palmer, we're assessing yesterday that you did the abdominal palpation, light palpation, and what is the other one? Moderate, moderate, moderate palpation. Okay, this is what I want you to concentrate right now. When we go to abdomen, we're gonna be a bit more specific. Right now, just go with the health assessment. Don't confuse it yet. So for this chapter, we're using light palpation and moderate palpation. Light palpation is one centimeter in depth and moderate palpation is one to two centimeters in depth. So when we're palpating, we're palpating for uh, the firmness, the contour, position, size, so we're feeling and any tenderness, any tenderness. I think I covered, I hope not, if not, I'm gonna repeat it. When you are taking a pulse, do not use your thumb. Okay, no using a thumb when, you're, when you are obtaining a pulse. Next, on Friday when we do the head, face, and neck, we also do the temporal mandibular joint test. So when we ask our patients to open and close their mouth, uh, we're feeling for crepitus. Remember that rice crispy What? So when we do that, we're, we're assessing for crepitus. Okay, just to see if there's something uh, um, uh, identifying any, any ailment. So when we do this, that's what we're gonna be doing as well. So we open and close, and if they have any pain. So we will do the T, TMJ. Another one that we use for palpation is the Allen test. I, I did not practice this with my group yesterday, I forgot. The Allen test. Let me see, who can I, I won't pick on you this time. I'll pick on you. Okay. You're very tall, huh? I don't know if I can reach you. Does that? Okay, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna turn on the light. This is to assess the arterial and ulnar blood flow, okay? Does it? No. <laughs> okay. 
I helped in it for a while. That is another test uh, to, that is uh, palpation. Now with the palm of your hands, is your abdominal assessment? Yes. Oh, the dorsal surface of your hand is the temperature. So when you are assessing temperature, you're going to feel the with the dorsal. What, do you, what does mom do when you, they think you have a fever? Oh, that's the thing you're doing with your patient. You're checking the temp from head to toe. That is the, the you use the dorsal aspect of your hand. Now, light palpation. Now, light palpation, I also, your book says that it is uh, to distinguish uh, pain from tenderness and to feel the, the surface area. Just to feel the, the skin, the surface area of it, uh, the integrity of it. But I also noted for pain. So, any discomfort. Because if you palpate, even if it's light palpation on your patient's abdomen, if there is pain, they will they will have a, 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 grim, a grimacing or some type of reaction. Okay, so I will look at them, but I am feeling for the texture of the abdomen, the contour. That is light palpation. And it helps to allow the patient to be, I'm gonna touch you, I'm gonna palpate you, I'm gonna press a, a, a little bit on your, on your stomach so that they get used to the area that you're assessing. You wanna go into a circular, when you're assessing them, you want to go circular, okay, in each area that you obtain the, the uh, bowel sounds. We start with the right lower quadrant, and we follow the colon, okay? Remember the colon anatomy? What is the one going up? Ascending, transverse, descending. So each section just palpate around, okay, lightly. Then you go just lightly. So that's light palpation, and they're getting used to the areas that you're assessing. After you're done, you ask, I'm gonna go in a bit a bit deeper. So if you're going in deeper, what are we looking for? Tumors. Tumors, any cyst, any, any tumor pain, so then we go in deeper. So they say, I'm gonna go in, so they know, okay? As you are doing your assessment, feeling, 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 you're looking at your patient's face to see if there's any grimacing. In what area did they grimace? What area did they react? So as you're doing, because we get so focused, especially when you're nursing students, even when I do it, I still like, I need to look at my patient. Look, we're just, oh, I'm getting this area. Um, no, so wait, as you're doing it, look back and look at your patient's face. So so to see if there's any grimacing, any any discomfort while you're, you are doing it. Um, right lower quadrant pain is a sign of appendicitis. So if your patient is, oh, I have pain right here, I have pain right here, no deep palpation, okay? No deep palpation in that area. They, you, you might just wanna touch the surface area, and if you do like that, probably say, ah, oh, okay? So no, no deep palpation there. Uh, the, the issue there is uh, rebound tenderness, and that's usually an indicator of appendicitis. With rebound tenderness, let's say your patient is not really, can't pinpoint where they're feeling the pain. It's like, I just, just hurts here. Where? It's just all around here. I don't know what it is. So, 
what you're gonna do, you're gonna compress, so you're gonna press, and you inform your patient, I'm gonna press down. Let me know if you feel pain when I'm pressing down or when I let go. So you depress, so you press, and they say, they, you look at them, they're okay, and once you let go, they scream in pain. That is appendicitis. Okay, that's rebound tenderness. So that is one of the tests that you will know. Oh yes, this patient is suffering from appendicitis. That is uh, rebound tenderness. Rebound tenderness. That is another type of palpation that we do. Now we have percussion. Percussion is tapping of the finger on a, the surface, and this is for uh, abdominal sounds as well, and for lung sounds and for sinus. And you have two types of percussion. You have direct percussion and indirect percussion. And the purpose of this is to, to elicit sound or elicit tenderness. For sinusitis, we use direct percussion because we're, we're actually gonna tap. So you're gonna tap in the sinus glass. So your sinus, here. so what you do, you tap, and you ask your patient, let me know if it hurts wherever I tap, okay? So that's direct percussion. You're directly percussing over the, the, the area. And it's for tenderness. That one is for tenderness. When you are using indirect percussion, this is where we're identifying sounds. And this is in the lungs and in the abdomen. Right now, we're just learning the techniques. When we get down to abdominal and respiratory, we're gonna identify those sounds, what to expect, and more of a detail. These are just techniques that we use for assessment. So direct, indirect percussion, we use a non-dominant hand, and we're gonna tap uh, on the, the uh, I'm gonna use you because you're right here. You're gonna be my model today. So I'm not gonna remove his shirt, I'm gonna do it over his shirt, okay? So. What we're listening for, if you did your reading, and I don't want to know what you did <laughs> If you did your reading, and I'm not going to tell you, you're going to have to read it. If you did your reading, you will know what sounds to expect over the lung field, what sounds are at normal, and what, and on your abdominal as well. Okay, so what we do, we're going to go where we, ever we auscultate for lung sounds, we're going to do for cuts. So what we do, we have our bone, so we're gonna tap and listen. What type of sound are we looking for? Mm -hmm. And your book has everything there, okay? One, one way that, so that is indirect percussion and we do it in the abdominal sounds as well. So this is the abdomen. What type of sound would you think? Tympanic, like drum-like sounds. That's our normal. Go into the readings and what are abnormals, okay? Tumors, any masses, that what type of sound will a mass sound like? What type of percussion sound? If there's a mass on the lungs, what type of sound? If there's water in the lungs, what type of sound? What is our normal sound? How does it sound if it's over bone, okay? That is percussing, that is percussing and when you're indirect percussion, direct percussion. One is to identify sounds, and the other one is to tenderness. And this is tender, tenderness if there is tenderness. So those are your percussions. 
with the, they use percussion to identify the size of the liver. So, and you can try it in lab, do percussing over the abdominal field and go up, go up, go up, and then you start notice, noticing that the sound changes. Once the sound changes, now you've reached the area of another, you're like, okay, it changed right here. What in the world is here? Now either you are in the bone or liver, okay? So that's how you go. So that way practice and you can see, you can hear the difference in sounds. It's gonna be tympanic, 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 and all of a sudden it's gonna change to dull. Okay, so that way you can, oh, okay, this is how it's, so this is what I'm listening to. because it, it sounds like if you're tapping on your boat, but once you practice it, you will know the difference, okay? So, so pra practice with your loved ones, your girlfriends, your boyfriends, okay? Your mom, your dad, don't freak them out. It's like, what are you doing? You're getting me like a science experiment. That's okay, okay? So practice, practice with your family members. Is that, tell them, I don't know what I'm listening to, but let's just do it, okay? Just practice, <laughs> practice, practice. Um, those are your percussion sounds, let me see. I have page 49, table 3.2, as how it identifies each, each of them. Oh, the CDA. Okay. There's another type of indirect percussion. I'm going to get you again. I'm sorry. I'll pick somebody else because Let's see. I need you to stand Now, this is for if your patient is complaining, uh, complaining with a UTI, has to this, I have some pain in my lower back. I, uh, so this is indirect percussion and it's hostile vertebral angle. Let me see, I put you, I don't think they can see. I'm giving you my back too. Uh, coastal vertebral angle, CVA. That's how you're gonna see it, CVA. You're gonna test to see if the patient has any, any uh, lung, uh, lung infection, kidney irritation. Okay, this is how you would identify. So what you're gonna do, you're gonna place a palm over the, the kidney area, you're gonna make a fist, and you're, it's indirect percussion. So you're gonna inform your patient, let me know if this, this hurts. And then if the patient has some type of skin irritation, or they'll, they'll complain of pain. Okay, so, and then you pay, no, no pain, no. you're good. And that is another type of indirect percussion. What is that one called? Uh, coastal vertebral angle, CVA. You'll see it as CVA. Now uh, the the okay, just this one. Now the auscultation. Now we're going to be listening to the to the sounds. So which are your heart sounds, lung sounds abdominal sounds. Sounds vary with movement of air and fluid and if there's any narrow or dilated spaces. So the sounds will vary. On the abdominal assessment, you have to be very specific in the order that you are assessing. In the abdominal assessment, if you start percussing or palpating before you auscultate, what have you done? you've disrupted the bowel movement. So the abdominal assessment is the only assessment that has a precise process of how step one, step two, step three. 
And, and with your practicum, this is what your instructors are gonna be looking at that you don't mess it up. Don't mess it up because then you'll fail your practicum. <coughs> so with the abdominal assessment, the first one is what? Inspection. So you're gonna inspect your patient's abdominal, uh, assessing uh, the abdomen size, any uh, per, uh, protrusions, is it concave, is it obese, you're, you're assessing the abdomen. Then you will auscultate. So second one is auscultate. So then you will go ahead and listen to the bowel sounds. Third, you'll percuss. And the fourth one, your final one will be the palpating. Okay? So it's going to be light palpation and then your your moderate to deep palpation and that's when we cover after. So that is the only one that actually has to go through a process. First you're going to look then you're gonna auscultate. Then you can go ahead and percuss and palpate. That is for your abdominal assessment. With auscultation, we use a stethoscope. You've all become familiar with the stethoscope. You've been practicing, practicing your blood pressures at home. Your, your stethoscope um, helps in transmitting sounds uh, <coughs> that, are, are, that we can't normally hear. When you are using a stethoscope uh, in the out when you're doing the clinical rotation, or practicing in lab, practicing in lab, you have, I forgot my octopus. You, you, ha you have it with you every time you're gonna uh, assess your patient, have some octopus sounds with you, clean it. They're gonna love you, they're gonna say, oh my God, look at her, she's cleaning it right before she uses it on me. Get some alcohol swabs, clean your stethoscope, then you can go ahead and do your assessment. Make sure to always clean because that stethoscope is also going from room to room to room, patient to patient to patient. So make sure, and when you, what you do is after you're done assessing, you clean it, okay, clean your stethoscope, then you're gonna go see your other patient so your other patient can see you clean it, you clean it right in front of them, okay? So make sure you, you have your alcohol swabs and clean your stethoscope. Who, who has an alcohol swab? Who cares? So make sure you get used to carrying an alcohol bottle, okay? Let me, Mr. Nomba, you have the stethoscope? Or who has the stethoscope? Oh, you did? I did. Oh, there you go. <laughs> you have a book? Okay. There you go. Thanks, some good nurses. Oh, my gosh. And this is what you're going to show your, your patient, okay? This is what you're going to demonstrate to your patient. So once you've done your assessment, you've done your assessment, you wipe it with your alcohol swab, then you go introduce yourself to your next patient, you go ahead and clean it right in front of them. They, they, it makes a difference. I want you to try that this time you go to clinical. Oh, oh, you have to. There, sign of a good nurse, you see right there? Okay, so you, you make sure you do it in front of them. Oh, they'll trust you, because they have to trust you with what? their life you have their life in your hand so you 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 wipe it off and it's good to go get used to doing it in front of them get used to having alcohol swaps so this is your stethoscope the longer the tubing the harder it is to 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 listen to the sounds so you want to take what what's available Okay, so the longer there is, uh, there are very, I have mine, but it's the, the double one. 
and it's very, very long. That's the way I wanted to show it to you, but it, it sounds pretty good. Um, but the longer the tubing, the, the harder for the sounds to go through. So you want to keep it at its. I, I worked with a nurse. She used to cut it a lot. I don't know why, but she used to cut it a lot. She couldn't listen to it, but she adjusted it to her to her own manner. So just in your book, if somebody did the reading, what is the what are the inches? If not, look it up. 21 to 27, sorry. So those are what, what is recommended, okay? She used to cut it very, very short. So it's whatever is recommended you, you uh, use, okay? If you find a long one, just go with the measures that you find. When you hold the stethoscope, you want to make sure you hold the stethoscope in this manner. You don't want to occlude the, the belt. So this is the diaphragm and this is the belt. The diaphragm is to listen to what type of sound? High frequency or low frequency? High frequency. Okay, so the diaphragm we use for the high frequency, such as the heart sounds, lung sounds, abdominal sounds, your blood pressure. The bell is for your low frequency, and what sounds are those? Arterial for brewing, your carotid, okay, your uh, abdominal aorta. So you're listening for those, those low frequency sounds. There are some stethoscopes that have uh, only one, the diaphragm. So you can actually make those to read, uh, to, to listen to breweries, uh, so your arteries as well. So in your book, what it, it tells you, and I'll let you read over that, you do a particular task with your stethoscope. Either you press in deeper and it'll give you a type of sound or, or just lightly and it'll deliver a low frequency in deeper, high frequency. So read over that and see where, what, what type of delivery will it give you. Those stethoscopes that do not have the diaphragm and the bell, because there are, there are some in, in that manner, but you can work it uh, adjusted to your whatever you want to uh, hear. So if you were looking for a brewery, you're listening to the abdominal aorta, <coughs> then you can use your, your regular stethoscope, but how are you gonna use it? Are you gonna press in deeper or is it gonna be lightning for high frequency and low frequency tones? So now, to hold it, you wanna hold between your index finger and your middle finger. You don't wanna hold it over the bell because you can occlude some of the, the sounds. Okay, so when you're doing your blood pressure, just in between your middle finger and index finger. So this is how you wanna hold your stethoscope. It's kind of, if you have already been working in the medical field and you're, you're used to doing this, it takes a little bit of work to get used to, but it's so much easier to, to, to perform your assessment, okay, to listen to the lung sounds and do your blood pressure. When you are placing your stethoscope, you're putting in the earpieces in the direction of your nose. So you see? So in the direction of your nose. Okay, so it's gonna be uncomfortable once you place it. When you place it in the wrong direction, it hurts. It's uncomfortable, you can't listen to it very well. So those, this is your stethoscope. This is your tool. This is your needed equipment that you're gonna love forever and ever. Uh, 
many, many, many nurses, and you will see it out in the field. Well, have their stethoscopes like this all of the time. And they go patient room, out of the room, in the room, out of the room, and the stethoscope is here. It is not very hygienic to do that unless you really, unless if you want to do that, you grab one of the wipes and clean down the whole thing every single time. Because this already went into the patient's, if you went under the patient's robe, it went under the patient's, it just touched everything. And then you put it, and now it's on you. Now it's on your neck, on your clothing, and everything. So if you do want to do that, I never do, because I, I just see all the germs walking around. I never do. I'll just slip it into my, my scrub pants or jacket, or just I never wear it around the neck. I don't know what it can pick up, okay? You don't remember, you don't want to take it home with you. You do not want to take anything home with you. That is auscultation. Uh, abdomen, we covered abdomen. So, <coughs> the bell for, in, for the vessels, for blood vessels, for murmurs in the heart, when we're also uh, uh, li uh, listening for murmurs, we use the bell, the bell, any brewies in the vessel. So the bells for vessels. Then blood pressure, lungs, heart, and abdomen is your diaphragm. I gave you the steps. And let's see, stethoscope, to cover. So your tubing, 21 to 27 inches. I do want you to tell me when I, what I explained right now with if you only have a diaphragm on your stethoscope, if you hold the, the, the diaphragm lightly to the skin, what type of sound do you have? Do you have a high frequency or low frequency? And vice versa, okay? So, so make sure you, you, you pay attention to that when you're doing your reading. I know you haven't read yet, I was told. Uh, diaphragm is used for <coughs> mostly all of your sounds. Okay? Your bell, your low frequency, and those are for low pitch sounds, your heart murmurs, um, for identifying heart murmurs. These are the instructions again. Make sure you disinfect between patient and how to place your, how to hold your stethoscope. So place the end piece between index finger and the middle finger. Not on top of your stethoscope. Oh, and that's it, I think. Is it it? No. no. What happened? Did I jump? <coughs> oh, see, you're tricky. <laughs> like, break. No. So now we're almost done. We're almost done. You did play with the ophthalmoscope yesterday. You visualized the red eye. That's all we wanted to see yesterday. Just the red eye. That bright red orange dot on the, on, yes. I just want to ask, in terms of abdomen, you said if we did the order wrong, that we fail the final count. You have a chance. Well, my next question is, like, if we don't check during the inspection phase for the pulsation for the AAA, is it the same thing that we would fail? Oh, with, uh, when you're doing the inspection? Yeah, if we don't check for the pulsation first before anything. When you're oh. doing your inspection of the abdomen, mm -hmm. just make sure you're really at the level of the, of the, your patient's bed. So you're actually, if you see any, if you see peristaltic movement, if you see any pulsating, this is what you're doing. And you can tell your instructor what you're doing. I'm assessing for any pulsations. I'm assessing for any, if 
you like yeah. rupture oh, somebody? Oh, yes, yeah. that's why you need to inspect, okay? You inspect, inspect first. So it, it's for the, so you get, oh, give me another rationale for the inspection. So it's the movement of the peristaltic, of this uh, rupting the peristaltic, and if there is something, uh, a rupture. If you happen to press in deep and you rupture. Is that, is that what you, yeah. yeah, okay. All right, yes, yes. So when you were the instructor, then you will go ahead and tell them what to do, okay? That's why you would fail. But you have to, no, you'll have to repeat it. And that's something you wanna get it done the first time around. Okay, you wanna repeat. So the steps are, inspect, consultation, consultation, Okay, so we're always assessing first in the abdomen. The other areas, your lung fills and your heart fills, would it make a difference? No. So this is the only area of concentration, okay, the abdomen. Another thing you can do for to check to see if you see any pulsation, you, your pen light. So I don't know if that person practiced that in lab yesterday. On the abdomen? Yes. Your pen light. So you grab your pen light and just check for direct, like if you see any pulsations, you shine the pen light over the abdomen. That way you can identify any other abnormal Okay, so you can practice that as well. We didn't do that in our lab. We need to practice that. So you would get a pen light and assess. Then, okay, the ophthalmoscope. You assess the red eye. All of you got to see the red eye? No. Yes, yeah? okay. They have a visual uh, uh, acuity. It could also, when they have um, cataracts or retinoblastoma, any eye abnormalities, you, you won't see it. But if you didn't get to see it yesterday, you didn't get to practice it, practice it, because it, it is in your practicum. Practice it, and <coughs> it looks like when you take a picture and the red eye comes in the photo, that's all it looks like. It looks exactly like that. That's what you're looking for. Okay, just the red eye. You can get closer and closer and closer and you can actually see the little blood vessels in, in there, but you have to get close and close and then you can identify the, the, the blood vessels and the structure of the inner eye. So you can go ahead and try that as well while you're practicing. Then we have the visual acuity chart. That's your Snellen chart. That's the one where it's 20, 20, uh, and they have to be 20 feet away. So you hold the, the eye chart, and they step 20 feet away, and they have to identify the line that they are able to visualize while covering <coughs> right eye, then cover the, the left eye, so oh, both eyes, okay? So one at a time. So that is your, your visual uh, acuity chart. There is another type of chart called the Rosenbaum, and it's a little card light. That one, they hold about 14 inches away, and it's like if they're reading the newspaper. You also ask them to read the smallest line in the card, okay? So they hold it about 14 inches away, and that's the Rosenbaum. They have it in lab too. While you're doing your, your clinical, and you have to do an, an eye, uh, acuity exam on your patient because they have their diagnosis is related to it. You don't have a nice chart available. You can use the newspaper 
and make sure they hold it 14 inches away and ask them to see if they can read it. Okay, that is also another type of eye, eye exam that you can do in the, in the setting. So we have the Snellen chart, the Rosenbaum chart. They have the children's ease chart. It's where the child will, will find how they see the E, what, what form. The children's E sign and the Jager sign. They, there's a one that tests for color blindness. I don't know if you got to see it yesterday. It's called the Ishihara. And they test for color blindness. And all you, you show this book to the patient and they follow and identify the colors. Okay, so that is called the Ishihara. We cover the eyes next week, so we'll go through every single one of them. Then we have the otoscope. The otoscope, when we're visualizing the otoscope, what do we do with the female, with the adult? Up and back, up and back. And then you visualize the tympanic membrane. And it's going to be pearly gray and shiny. If there is too much cerumen in the ear, you might not be able to visualize it because it's going to block it. That is your otoscope. And you practice with your otoscope yesterday. With your otoscope, since it does have the light, you can go ahead and, and inspect the nose as well. So you can shine the light inside the nose. In the nose, you're going to be looking for any um, septal deviation, any nasal polyp. So when you are assessing the nose, we can go ahead and use that one. Or you can use your pen light. Okay, but since you're already here in this area, just go ahead and grab your your otoscope and assess, after you're done with the ear, assess the nose as well with your otoscope. The tuning fork, you did get to see your tuning forks and very, very usable. This is checking for hearing loss. It's not checking for any genetic hearing loss, it's checking for general uh, hearing loss, uh, conductive versus, versus sensorineural loss. So you're gonna, with the Ryan test or Renee Ryan test R I N N E, and this is again we're going to cover it next week. You are assessing air and bone conduction. <coughs> some of you practice in the lab, some of you might not have. And then we have the Weber testing. The, that one is where you place at the top of the head, and they need to identify the patient if they hear the sound on both ears, or one is stronger than the other, or one they don't hear at all. When you do use the tuning fork, you want to avoid touching the, the um, tongue pieces here. So when you are assessing, you always grab it from the end piece. And once you touch these pieces, the vibration sound will stop. So make sure you're, you avoid touching that when you are uh, uh, assessing with the tuning fork. It will damper the sound and it will stop it. Then your reflex hammer, you did get to play with your reflex hammer, dependent reflexes. Here, oh, here are your um, tuning forks. You have your Weber and your Ryan test. Air conduction, bone conduction, and uh, bilateral sound. Your reflex hammer, you're testing for DTR. You will assess for the Babinski. We'll cover that when we get to the section. Abdominal reflex. 
And the response should be when you're doing the the knee jerk reflex, uh, the brachial reflex, the tricep reflex, the radial reflex. We're you, we're looking for a response. For example, with the patella, it's going to be the extension, okay, of the leg. Then we have the uh, other instrument that we're not going to be using, okay, the vaginal speculum. And you saw the ones in the lab. The ones in the lab are old. They're metal. We no longer use metal. We use the plastic uh, disposable ones. Then we have the goniometer that measures the angle of the joint. It measures the range of motion. It's mainly used by physical therapy, and that's just to progress the, the joint movement, movement of a joint. The skin folds, calipers, anthropometric, the measurement, uh, they measure skin fold thickness just to determine the body fat. And they did have these available yesterday, I believe. So when we're, we're ready to perform our physical assessment, we're gonna gather all our equipment. We gather all of our equipment prior to going to see the patient because we don't wanna, we wanna avoid any obstruction. You forget something, you have to step out of the room and go get it. And you forget, so make sure you have everything there to avoid any interruptions and to gain the patient's trust. Because if you leave and come and go and come and go, they're like, mm, not ready. Okay, so you don't wanna give them that impression. You go in uh, ready with everything that you need. You're gonna go in with your vital signs, which is next. Vital signs equipment, your stethoscope, your blood pressure, your uh, thermometer, your, uh, your watch with the second hand, uh, ready. And a scale to weigh your patient a flashlight for your assessment, and this is when you're doing the abdominal assessment, you can use your pen light, you can use a flashlight to see any, any uh, the paracelsis or any uh, pulsations in the abdomen. And with the scale, you need to make sure the scale is balanced at zero. Make sure your scale is balanced at zero, and any materials for reporting. So this is where you're gonna jot down all your findings. You're gonna provide an accurate description uh, of your findings. This is a legal document, and other people are gonna be referring to us, and it's a communication finding to the next nurse that's coming. Oh, this is what she identified in her assessment. So very, very important to document. Well, inspect, during inspection, you're gonna document the verbal and the nonverbal that the patient, uh, you, that you found, their appearance, any special findings, uh, symmetry, any deformity, any lesions, any swellings, any decelerations. You're noting all that in your inspection. In your palpation, again, your texture, your size, shape, vibration, if you noted any crepitus, tenderness, pain, or edema. And your percussion, now all your sounds, a fluid field, hollow sounds, any tenderness or pain. Auscultation, any normal or abnormal uh, sounds that you identified, and the blood vessels, any brewing or hum, and your bowel sounds. And when we go to abdomen, we'll go into more detail. What is hypoactive, what is hyperactive bowel sounds, and what are normal active bowel sounds. So hypoactive would be less than five gurgles, then less than five clicks, if that it would be hypoactive and you're listening for 
for a, 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 a second, so 15 to 30 seconds a minute, depending, if you don't hear any sound. And when we go down to abdomen, we'll go in detail. I don't want to give you too much right now. So hypo would be less than five clicks. Hyper would be more than 35 <coughs> clicks. Absent will be no sound, no sound. If there is no vowel sounds, it has to be a total of no vowel sounds for <coughs> on all quadrants, no vowel sounds, okay? And heart sounds, you can identify your S1 as S2, which is your loved up, loved up. Any other additional sounds would be an S3, S4. When we cover cardio, we'll go through this some. Murmur, rub, and your lung sounds, which are your bronchovesicular, adventitious uh, breath sounds, which are, are the normal sounds, and then your abnormal, adventitious, which are your rails, bronchi, and, and, uh, and, and uh, rails, bronchi, wheezy, okay? So those are the ones that you're gonna be looking for and identifying. And we are done, I think, yes. You know what palpation is? Palpation is the assessment of the patient through touch. What is light palpation appropriate for? All right, now go take a break. About
get a report of those vital signs and act on it. You cannot be dependent on your nursing assistant to report an abnormal vital sign to you because they might not. They might not think it's an abnormal vital sign and won't report it. So you must follow up. It's still you are ultimately responsible for it and accountable for it. So even if the CNA didn't report on high blood pressure and your patient suffers with stroke, it's still gonna fall on you. Why didn't you follow up? It was your responsibility. You're accountable. That's what you're gonna hear. So you have to have to follow up. There will be times when you cannot delegate vital signs. Cannot. And I don't know if I covered this with you already. What can you not delegate vital signs? What 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 patient's condition can you not delegate? Unconscious, depending on your assessment. Blood transfusions, you do not delegate for blood transfusion. You as a nurse must collect it. With a blood transfusion, they might develop a fever as a reaction. So you do not assign blood transfusion. If you have an unconscious patient, depending on how, the, how stable is your patient. Is this a long-term patient? Depending on, on the what is occurring on the time. Pain, nursing assistants cannot assess pain. You're, you're ultimately responsible for pain. So you're gonna determine if your patient has pain, if, you're by, if you would want the nursing assistant to take the blood pressure. So this is where you're, you're, you are, as a nurse in your clinical judgment, is it okay for the nursing assistant to take it if this patient is in extremely amount of pain or should I just go ahead and my, get it myself, collect the vital signs myself, okay? so. You, 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 you walk through the scenario and say, if it's a patient in an emergency, you always collect it, okay? If it is a blood transfusion that you're delivering for your patient, you collect it as a nurse. You don't delegate. You don't delegate post-op. Your patient's coming in from surgery, you don't delegate those vital signs to the CNA. You collect it. You wanna, you want to assess how they're getting out of surgery. So you're assessing the value of signs. If a patient is started, is started on a new antiarrhythmic medication, you collect the vital signs. You cannot delegate it to a CNA. If a patient is suffering from an asthma attack, <coughs> patient comes into the ER or on your floor and they're having an asthma attack, you can't go and say, Tell them, tell delegate to them, go get the vital signs while I go get their medication or so. You have to collect it. You can ask, you can ask another nurse to get you what you need if you need a, a, a treatment, a nebulizer treatment. Okay, but you can say your patient is having an asthma attack and, and you assign it to your, your CNA to stay there and obtain it. It's up to you. Okay, you can go ahead and, and delegate for one of the other nurses to get you the equipment you need. So you don't delegate post-op, blood transfusions, first blood transfusion, and any new antiarrhythmic drug that you need to be monitoring, apical um, <coughs> pulses, okay, blood pressure, and if a patient is suffering or at being at first admitted with an asthma attack. Those are the ones that you do not want to delegate under any circumstance. You're not, you're not too busy. Okay, these are some
These are vital signs that you must collect. In your vital signs, you have your temperature, your pulse, your respiration, your blood pressure, pain, and oxygenation, SpO2. So those are your basics uh, on vital signs. Those are what we are collecting. And, and these are the indicator of your uh, patient's physiological status and how they respond to the environment. So vital signs, you're determining how are they, are they responding to the treatment you're giving them? Uh, are they getting better? Is it not making a difference? Are they getting, uh, are they getting worse? So those are the vital signs. That's what you're performing vital signs for. So you can continue with the observation and treatment of your patient if you need it to make any changes. It is also your baseline. These are, oh, this is his baseline blood pressure. You always have a baseline when you're collecting vitals. So this is what you are collecting when you are assessing the vital signs. Here, here are what we um, include. So make sure these account for your vital signs, okay? Temperature, pulse, respiration, blood pressure, and pain. Pain, we're gonna, when we get to uh, chapter six, we're gonna go specifically over, over pain. So the purpose of vital signs is gonna help us obtain that baseline to monitor patients for continued monitoring, to evaluate if any of the treatments we're giving them, medications, uh, physical therapy, uh, nebulizer treatment, any medication treatment or uh, therapy treatment that we are giving them, is it working? <coughs> we can identify any new issues by monitoring their vital signs, and it's just continued monitoring. We'll continue to monitor. Usually when you're writing here, no, we'll continue to monitor. What are we monitoring? Their vital signs. In urgent assessment, so urgent assessment if your patient is in extreme anxiety, that is an urgent assessment. And distress, we need to go and assess them. So any urgent assessment is an acute situation, something that is happening right now, an acute situation. That is an urgent assessment. <coughs> a patient coming in to your ER nurse patient comes in from a motor vehicle accident, had a motor vehicle accident, you know, cyanosis, you know, change in mental status, and extreme anxiety. That is an urgent assessment. That is part of an urgent assessment. Anytime you notice any pallor, any cyanosis, cyanosis will be an indicator of what? Very simple. Simple, simple. Lack of oxygen, right? Lack of oxygenation. Is that an emergency? Oh, yes it is. So. Those are urgent assessment. Any change of mental status. What I'm saying about mental status here is all, they're alert, awake, oriented. You're, you're speaking to them. Alert, awake, oriented times three. Then all of a sudden, they're confused and they're disoriented. That is an emergency. When they're okay, they're okay, they're awake, alert, oriented, and, and all, just suddenly they, they become disoriented and confused. That is also considered an urgent, an acute, ac acute situation, okay? When they go from oh, alert, oriented, times three mental status, to a change, to a disoriented and confused. Just very quickly, all of a sudden. With acute distress, respiratory distress, 
and this could be uh, uh, due to shock or any electrolyte imbalance. Another acute, acute situation. This is just so you can identify areas where it becomes an acute, acute intervention. Acute intervention is needed. Here, while you're perform, you still need vitals. Even if they're going through an acute uh, situation, you still need to collect vitals. So while you're collecting vitals, you're intervening. You're putting in your intervention. If you know they're cyanotic, what are you doing at the same time that you're inspecting cyanotic? You're collecting the pulse, oxim the pulse ox to see where they're saturating. And what is the next step? We also have already there, oxygen. Okay, so you, you're, you're working both uh, at a time. As you're assessing, as you're uh, 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 obtaining vitals, you are in, uh, placing your interventions as well. So this is with your urgent assessment. When a patient is in distress, we want to make sure we, when a patient is in distress, we want to make sure we're assessing, but we want to make sure we're intervening and, and doing what we have to to rescue them. Let's say they're, they're suffering, uh, uh, they're not breathing. So what do you do when they're not breathing? What do we check? So we're still assessing, but if we're assessing, what are we implementing? So we're, we're yeah, so we're rescue breathing, we're trying to rescue them. Okay, so when they are in uh, distress, we, we're assessing, but we're, we're, we're putting our interventions in place. We can't stop like a routine assessment that they're in distress, they're in an urgent situation, and here you're taking the blood pressure and take, we're gonna see it differently. We're, we're going to perform that, but then we're gonna be placing our intervention in urgent, assess in urgent assessment. In hospital, you have anything, any acute situation occurring? There's a team that is in the hospital setting that's called the rapid response <coughs> team. This is a team compromise from, from nurses and uh, doctors, respiratory therapists from the ICU department that are designated when they hear rapid assessment, they go in and uh, assess the situation to see what, if the patient's not breathing. So that is the rapid response team. They're called when there's some type of distress. Let's say you walk in, your patient is, you walk in, your patient is, can't catch his breath. Or you hear like strider. And you hear strider when we do a respiratory uh, section of it. It sounds like, it sounds painful, like they can't, they can't breathe. There's some obstruction, they can't breathe. Their, uh, um, their uh, oral pharynx has uh, shut, and so there's like a squeak. It sounds horrible, it sounds very painful. Let's say you walk in and you see that. What are you gonna do first? Call rapid response, okay? So any situation where you're, you uh, um, find, call rapid response, make sure they're, make sure, you can tell uh, the nurse, call rapid response to room so-and-so and get them there and then go in and intervene and do your assessment, okay? But you make sure that you notify rapid response in, in, a, in a distressed area uh, where your patient is, is not breathing or any changes, even a change in mental status. Again, where they're awake oriented times three and all of a sudden they're confused and disoriented. Call rapid response. 
as well. You don't want to wait till it gets worse. You call rapid response if there's a new onset of chest pain. So patient starts complaining, I feel a lot of pressure in my chest. I feel a lot of pressure in my chest. I, and I, I, I feel very short of breath. Call rapid response. You don't want to wait until they, they're gone. Okay, then you have to be performing CPR. Strider, strider is the respiratory distress. This is where you hear that something, it, they just can't breathe. You hear like a, and it, it, this is an emergency. They're, they're, not, they're not breathing. Any respirations less than two, less than 10, or less than two, <laughs> less than 10 or greater than 32, okay? And if you see any increased effort in, uh, in breathing, you're, they're using the, their accessory muscles to breathe very deep and labored. You're calling rapid response. Anxiety. I said that anxiety, extreme anxiety is not, is not good. They can um, hyperventilate and then they're going to pass out. Okay, so extreme anxiety is not good. Anxiety, regular, moderate anxiety is good. Okay, it's good for motivation. That, that is the type of good, moderate anxiety. And when you're nervous for the exam coming in on Wednesday, you're, that's good anxiety. Okay, that's in the motivation too. I'm going to get an A. Okay, that, that's good anxiety. They build something. That is good, but when we get to to uh, extreme anxiety, and we're gonna cover anxiety more in detail when we get into pain. That is where we're gonna react. But we see a patient that is not, is not calming down. He is extremely anxious. We've tried the deep breathing, and they are not, they know to just call, go ahead and call the rapid response if they think they're already at where they, they're stopped, they're not breathing, okay? So we don't want, you, you try, you try to calm them, let's do some deep breathing, and let's go ahead because you're gonna end up in a bad situation. So you don't wanna leave your patient, if they're going to ex through extreme anxiety, you don't wanna leave them alone. Don't leave them alone. Make sure uh, that you, you are with them. If you need help, call someone, call the call line so they can get, help you, but don't leave them alone during the panic episode. <coughs> Hypovolemic shock, uh, if there's bleeding, any bleeding, if you, there is some uh, bleeding and they're going through shock, it can be some type of internal bleeding. So if you notice a very low blood pressure and increased heart rate, and of course you're gonna look at the, at the color of the skin. You call rapid response. The members of the rapid response team are doctors, the critical ICU uh, nurses, respiratory therapists, and EMT, personnel from the ER, the EMT. The hospital determines who this team is. So daily they'll have a list of, you're, you're on the rapid response team, you're on the rapid, so daily they'll have a who, who and, and for morning and AM and PM, who is going to be on the rapid response team. So if you guys end up working in the ICU's department or the um, ED department, you might end up in one of these teams once you get your, your practice. Urgent assessment to continue. So you have all this that the uh, rapid response team is is responsible and on the lookout for. Okay, we do have agitation as well, and agitation could be less uh, because of uh, hypoxia or any electrolyte imbalance, any delirium. Electrolyte imbalance would be with your. Uh, 
liver failure patients, your liver, the ammonia levels can be very high. So they tend to become very agitated. So this is, these are some instances to notify their rapid response team. As you can see, it's included as well uh, is any elevated temperature, so hyperthermia or hypothermia. You have uh, your patient with a temp of 104.5, so we, we would activate the rapid response. I'm hoping they're already in the ICU and it's not happening on your floor, but that would be uh, as well. What do we need for our assessment? When we are uh, um, going to wear a patient, make sure you're removing their shoes, if you, especially in the outpatient, even in the hospital setting. You wanna weigh them with the same, in your hospital in the acute care, they're wearing the same thing that you're weighing them a day, okay? So the remove shoes, if they have, even in the hospital, some patients like to wear their coats if they're cold. So make sure they wear their, any outer garments, any ex extra clothing they have on. Make sure the scale is balanced at zero. It has two bars. If you played with the scale yesterday, it has two bars. Make sure those two bars are at zero and it's, it's balanced. Page 88 in your text has the detail. They go step by step on everything. So when you're away, you attempt and make sure, sometimes it's difficult in the hospital setting, unless there's a designated one there, use the same scale. Usually weigh them at the same time. So they're, if they're getting weighed at six in the morning, make sure their weight is done at six in the morning. And they're wearing about the same amount of clothing. So if it's just their hospital gown, the hospital <coughs> The beds in the labs have a weight. So you, when you start, start playing with your bed so you can uh, putting them in, in uh, Fowlers, high, high fowlers, low fowlers, supine. Same with your beds and lap. They have a button where it weighs. So it'll weigh you when you're in, in bed. So the patients, you can weigh in bed as well. But it has to have the amount of pillows, the bedding, so it's kind of tricky, okay? So if your patient is bed bound, you can go ahead and weigh your patient in bed, but just make sure that we don't have any extra stuff and we're adding weight or taking away weight. So we have to make sure that it's, it's the same. And it is balanced, and it does have the the bed. So make sure you you uh, play with those with those beds so you can get to know. This again is all the equipment that I just covered right now that we um, covered. The pulse oximeter, tape measure, and that's for your pediatrics. So when you cover pediatrics, it, tape measures are usually uh, paper, so you throw them and you don't reuse them. So it's disposable, and this is to measure the circumference of the baby's head and their length. Now, data collection. When you're going to do your assessment, how to prepare the environment. You wanna make sure the environment where you're gonna be obtaining vital signs and you're gonna be uh, uh, exposing uh, body parts is warm. The, the, it's not too chilly and it's not too hot. It's comfortable. It, an elderly and your older adult, that's why I tell you, for us, it could be comfortable. We're like, oh, this is great, it's nice and, and cozy. And for your patient, it could be freezing cold. So that's where you would offer a blanket for them, okay? So it's warm, it's comfortable, it's relaxing, it's quiet, and it's private. So if there's family, you have her permission again. 
You want to reduce the noise because you're going to be listening. You're going to be listening to the blood pressure. Uh, and, and so you want to reduce the, the noise. You want to make sure you provide privacy. So before measuring the vitals, you want to follow that they've at least uh, been resting for five minutes. If they, they did have anything to drink, you do want to wait. Wait about 30 minutes. Especially if you're taking an oral temperature, they just have uh, iced tea or they have coffee, that's going to change the temp. So make sure that uh, you wait at least 30 minutes. If you're going to obtain a blood pressure and they're wearing a very, very tight uh, sweater, and you roll it up, you can roll it up, but if it's very tight, it's gonna, when you place the cup, it might obstruct where you're placing the cup. So if they can go ahead and remove it, it's even better. So so if they can remove any restrictive clothing, it's, it's better, okay? And your patient, however you're taking the vitals, maybe sitting or standing. So we'll cover orthostatic, uh, orthostatic blood pressure, and we have your patient moving, sitting, um, supine, sitting, and standing up. That, that are your rules. You need to gain your patient's trust. You're going to address them by name. So you will ask them what, what they would like to be called. You want to wash your hands in front of them. Remember I told you? And what else did I tell you you should do in front of them? Clean the stethoscope in front of them. They're going to love you. They're like, okay, take care of me. During preparation of obtaining the vital signs, you want to you want to explain to them what you're going to be doing. And what what to expect. So I'm going to be taking your temperature. I'm going to do a, a oral temperature. I'm going to place it in your mouth. I'm going to be taking a blood pressure. I'm going to have to remove the sweater. You're going to be explaining everything to them. And and tell me, I'm gonna, uh, and I will tell, you know, notify them about, give them the results. Your pulse is 62. Your blood pressure is 120 over 68. You're going to give them the results this way. So you're explaining it to them, explaining everything you're doing to them. And before this, and then once you say, I'm going to be, I'm going to be, I'm going to be, what do you say? Is that okay with you? Okay, ask for permission. General survey. When you, uh, the first time you go in, even if you've had experience out in the healthcare, this is your first time as a nursing student. So your role has changed. If you worked as a CNA before, if you worked as an EMT before, you have that experience, but now you're, this is your first time as a nursing student. So when you go and introduce yourself to the patient, you can you can shake their hand, okay? So my name is uh, um, Yvonne, and I'm gonna be your nurse today. If your patient extends their hand, shake their hand, because then you're gonna break the, break the confidence right there and then. Okay, that's why you have that hand sanitizer when you walk out the door. So they offer to shake your hand. Go ahead and, uh, and um, uh, shake their hand. There might be, but to be culturally sensitive, there's some cultures that they might not. So I personally, if they want to shake my hand, I let them. If they extend their hand, I'll shake it. But I will be the first one to do it because I don't know if it's depending on the cultures. You know how us with um, uh, Mexican, American, Hispanic, we hug and hug, hug, and hug? Uh, it not might uh, be for everybody. So before hugging or anything, if they extend their hand, I'll go ahead. Now if they want to give me a hug, I kind of like, not right now, maybe later, okay? Once I get to know you. 
but um, but with a handshake, that that's fine, okay? Uh, and some pa some patients are very friendly, very loving, and they want to hug and kiss you, and, but that is up to you, okay? <laughs> so, but for a handshake, handshake is fine. You want when you walk in in general survey again, you're looking at eye contact. If your patient has a affect, what is their affect? Is it a flat affect, no reaction? Or are they smiling? Do they look upset? Do they look angry? Do they look grouchy? If they look grouchy, that's when you just want to do it and get up. So you're looking at their affect. You're you're listening to their speech. Is it clear? Is it rapid? Or is it there's a, a word salad. Word salad is where they're just throwing words out of out of anywhere, and it no, makes no sense whatsoever. That's word salad. You will see this in uh, in the in psychiatric setting. You might see it in the hospital setting because patients, psych patients, end up in uh, ER, end up in ICU, end up in the med service. Okay, so word salad is where they're throwing words at random that you're. <coughs> So you would describe that in your documentation, uh, patient's verbal expression, word salad, unable to comprehend. You can redirect, refocus, and this is where all your therapeutic communication is going to come into into play. Any, 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 you know, any other outstanding feature? What stands out from uh, uh, from this this patient? This is your general survey. Do they respond immediately when you ask them a question? Do they respond in appropriate time, in appropriate manner, or they appear that they, they can't comprehend what you're asking? So then you reward it, and they're still not getting it. So you note that down. Are they responding appropriately? And, and, and uh, not immediately, but within where you think they got it, and they would give you a response, even if it's a yes or no, and they're like they can't understand what you're asking. When you are in the general survey as well, when you're assessing the skin and once you're doing the inspection and, and palpation and you're describing your patient, note, uh, even if they do ha sh shake your hand, how does it feel? Is it moist? Is it warm? Is it cold? How, how does it feel? Is the patient interacting well with others? If family is there, is patient involved with them or he's in his own world? You're like a detective. You need to look at everything that is going on. And I did mention this already. Your documented stated age looks younger and looks older. Again, emaciated, overweight, obese, and the stature. Uh, do they have any deformities? Do they have a, a, a scoliosis, uh, a lordosis, a kyphosis? Is their gait a normal gait? And how do they appear? Appear calm, relaxed, or are they in distress? So this is all that you are assessing. Their all overall appearance, and state of age, their hygiene. Is the clothing that they're wearing? Let's say they come up, uh, or or they come up to their floor. Is the clothing appropriate for the for the uh, environment? For the if it's summer and they come in with a uh, parka. Okay, that's not appropriate. Or it's winter and it's a t-shirt and, and shorts. So we're looking if it, the clothing is appropriate to for the weather and if it's clean. For skin color, again, I went over the skin color, what you're noting for. Uh, behavior, 
How do they present themselves? Any facial expression, they're cooperative or not cooperative, anxious, flat, and we cover that. Um, body odor, what did I say body odor? What are we looking for body odor? Smell. We're in the lookout for alcohol, urine, stool, smoke, and, and just body odor, okay. that they're not taking care of themselves. They're, they're not, uh, they're deteriorating on, on their own. They're not taking care of themselves. Level of consciousness, okay, we covered that. Confused, lethargic, uh, inattentive, or they're alert. Their speech, I went over the speech, with clear, rapid, or slurred, or, or they don't make sense. They just words out. And their posture, are they slow, rapid, um, is their gait, in their range of motion? Those are our general survey. Now the anthropometric, this is your height and weight and calculation of your BMI. It's on page 89. They have the, uh, the tool there in your text on page 89 for the calculation of your BMI. And 87 and 80, page 87 and 88, they have the anthropometric measurements, how they should be ranging. For men, for the waist circumference for men, it should be 40 inches. If, if it's over 40 inches, it, these are indicators uh, for risk of heart disease. And we cover this more in detail when we get to the cardiac uh, circulation uh, chapter. Okay, so we measure waist circumference. Uh, men is 40 inches and women is 35 inches. Then uh, we, we use the tools. We saw the tools right now for the skin fold thickness, uh, mid upper arm circumference. That This is all the anthropometric. And the BMI, I know you know this already, right? Normal for BMI measurement, what is the 90 to 24? Overweight, 25 to 29, and obese 30 and over. You must assess the patient's medication first. So where do we do the, uh, the medication assessment? In the health history. So you already have the list of medication that your patient is taking, and you're gonna make sure which, which of these medications can, can alter their blood, their blood pressure, their pulse, <coughs> and, their and their respiration. So we're gonna be looking and, and see, oh, this, this medication is gonna alter their blood pressure, it's going, for example, the beta blockers, the lows, what do they do? Decrease BP and decrease pulse. So we're gonna look at all the lows and all the lills, any of the medication they're taking and how it is affecting them. Then, uh, so it is for baseline measurement. So before, when do we take vitals? We do it before any procedure, during a procedure for monitoring and after procedure. After uh, blood transfusion, a must. When we <coughs> who collects blood transfusion? Vitals, nurses, okay? So you're gonna be uh, collecting all the vitals. We are monitoring for weight changes. If your patient is on any diuretic, that's why it's very important to weigh them at the same time with the same clothing, with the same weight scale. Hopefully you use the same one. Because if they are diuretics, we want to make sure that it is working. Diuretics, 
Dialysis, dialysis, they remove a lot of fluid in one treatment. They can remove up to, gosh, I've seen a lot of fluid removed, but about five to seven pounds of fluid can be removed during dialysis treatment. We've had up, up to 10 pounds removed, okay? So, there's a, so you need to be very accurate in their weight if they're having any of these procedures done. And it is usual to see that only one vital sign is, is assessed. Of course, when you're doing the vitals, you'll get collect all vital signs, but there might be a medication where you only have to collect uh, every two hours or every four hours, you only have to collect the pulse or the blood pressure or the temperature. Okay, so we can go ahead and just have one vital and, and you'll become familiar with that. But of course, every shift, uh, if it's a routine, we're collecting all the vitals. But it is not unusual to have all the vitals as well. Body temperature, you had a uh, pathol. Um, you know that the hypothalamus controls the temperature uh, and uh, with the basic met metabolic rate, either you're gonna shiver, you're gonna not shiver to, to, uh, for heat loss and uh, heat evaporation, okay? For thermal, so this is all thermal regulation. So body temperature, you have the normal ranges here. In lab, in the in lab, we use when we do simulate a hospital day, we're going to be using Celsius. In the hospital setting, they usually have Fahrenheit. You have I did not write the page number for the turning Celsius and Fahrenheit. Page ninety. You have the formula for uh, Fahrenheit and Celsius. Okay, but you do have to know the normals for both uh, Fahrenheit and Celsius and the abnormals. With rectal temperature, that is the most accurate temperature. That's the core temperature. With the rectal temperature, you need to uh, avoid using it on patients that, on newborns, you don't take rectal temps on newborns. You don't take rectal temps on patients with cardiac any cardiac issue. You can stimulate the vagus nerve, okay? So we, we avoid, if they have any cardiac issue, we're gonna avoid the rectal temps. Uh, th that will just um, um, slow their heart rate, so go into bradycardia, uh, arrhythmia, okay, so tachycardia. So we avoid cardiac patients. We avoid any patient that has had rectal surgery. Or any type of rectal disease, any colon cancers, any any type of rectal disease. And a patient who has diarrhea, we do not want to use uh, rectal th temperature on them. For axillary temperature, uh, um, which is the axillary? Okay, the armpit. That is where maybe for children, if you're having a, a, a difficult time um, having them hold it in their mouth, we can go ahead and, and obtain the axillary temperature, which is, uh, it's, it's okay, but it's not the best one to use, okay? Rectal is the best one to use, but you have all these patients that you, can, you have to be careful with. And then you have, what is the, the then you have the elect, electronic thermometers, the ones that you practice in lab, the disposable ones. You put the pro cover, you, overall you place it sublingually uh, in the sublingual pocket, and they hold it until you get the reading, okay? 
eucmonodule oral temperatures on patients. So those that you cannot do oral, then you can do the axillary. So depending, it's going to be on your clinical judgment. You do not do oral temperatures, of course, of course, on patients that have uh, are, are hospitalized for seizures, okay? Don't, no oral on patients who are at risk of, because with your luck, you put it in and they have a seizure right there in it, okay? So if they're in the hospital for seizures, we do not use oral. If they are confused, we don't want to use uh, oral uh, temperature. And let's say they, they have the mask for oxygen. If they have the mask, it might be at a high, uh, it has to be in a high uh, level over five liters. So go ahead and, and obtain it uh, axillary or if they have the, the uh, tympanic, okay, or the temporal one, you would use that one. So those are the ones that you would avoid using oral temperatures. You have the tympanic where you place it in, inside the ear. And the tympanic one is accurate. It, uh, it, 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 it gives you good readings with the core temperature, but you must not use it if your patient has ear pain. So if your patient is complaining of ear pain, uh, you can go ahead and use it on the other one if it's okay, but they'll not go, okay, just put it in there. Don't use it if the patient has ear pain. The temporal artery, that's the fastest one, the most convenient, the easiest one to, to, to use. It does use infrared um, a sensor. So you just, you've seen it, they sell it everywhere now. So just make sure you get the top of the forehead and behind the ear, okay? So that's how you are reading with your temporal, uh, temporal uh, thermometer. Uh, with the uh, tympanic, you do not use it when they're complaining of pain and do not use it if they have an infection of the ear either. So you, you avoid using the tympanic there. When you look at the thermometer, blue, when you saw the blue top in lab, that's oral, okay? The blue signifies oral. What does the red signify? Rectal. Rectal. So don't confuse them, okay? Make sure you're paying attention. So red, and uh, when I started nursing, they have, I remember they were together. You'd have the red top and then the blue top, and they were in the same in the same monitor. Now I think they, I guess it happened too much. Now they have, uh, now they have it separate, but you just make sure, make sure you might get one of those old ones and it had the red and the blue together. So make sure oral is blue top, blue tip, and rectal is the red tip. So with obtaining the right route, it's gonna be up to you. It's gonna be up to your critical uh, thinking. It's gonna be up to you what you decide to use for temperature. So is the following statement true or false? The temperature above 38.5 in adults requires immediate assessment and rapid cooling measures? False. So it is 39.5. So now we go to the pulses. So your pulses, <coughs> so the pulse is the uh, cont uh, contraction of the heart uh, that causes blood to flow and it creates a pressure wave. So this is what you're, 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 um, you're feeling. You're using your fingertips to assess and just remember you don't use the thumb. So, in 
then you have the what we practice, right? What is where where is your apical? Where you do you assess the apical pulse? The intercostal space. Yes. So we're gonna palpate the arterial point, and we are measuring rate, rhythm, amplitude, and elasticity. So for the amplitude, that is the pulse strength. Okay, so we, we're gonna identify it as zero, plus one, plus two, plus three, and plus four. In, the, in page 94 and 95, you have the pulse sites. So the, these are the sites that you obtain pulses. And you also have the, the table of the identifying at zero, plus one, plus two, plus three, plus four. So what is the normal? Plus two. Plus two. Okay, so two plus is, is what all of you should, should be at. No one should be at a plus four, but I don't know. But that's, you're just gonna find normal findings with each other. When you go to the hospital setting, you're gonna, that's where you're gonna locate the abnormals and you're gonna say, oh my gosh, what is this? If you find an, let's say you find a bounding pulse or you find a, a weak pulse and, and you're like, oh my, ask your patient, can, I, can one of my uh, other uh, students come in, can one of the other students come in and, and feel? So bring everybody in, okay? As long as your patient uh, says it's okay. That's what we used to do. We identified any murmur on a patient. We'd be all in there, oh, listen to the murmur. Patients love it. Most patients love it. They like the attention and all the students there with them. So just make sure your patient is okay. So we go and assess, or if they found an abnormal lung sound, everybody would go and listen to the abnormal lung sound. So any abnormality you locate, ask your patient, is it okay if one of the other students comes to listen? And take them. And then it's very interesting that everybody wants to hear. Okay, so share, share whatever you find out there. Share with your, your uh, fellow student. So look at the table. Any vital signs, when you look at the chapter, and most of you already read it, just kidding, right? Most of you already read the chapter. It's very detailed. It tells you step by step by step how you're taking the blood pressure, how you're taking the vitals, how you are taking everything. Make sure you don't miss out on reading those safety alert boxes. So look at all the safety alert boxes in all the chapters that you, you read. Because they, I might not be covering them, but you might see them somewhere, okay? So make sure you look at all your safety alert boxes. They are very, uh, uh, very important. They're there for a reason in a box. Any abnormal findings, tachycardia, greater than 100, bradycardia, less than 60. If they are uh, less than 60, then we're looking at uh, beta blockers, any calcium channel blockers. Remember, you're looking at their medications. If they're on digoxin, you know, then you're making sure you're noting their apical pulse, you're checking their apicals before medications and after. Any uh, arrhythmias that you know, any pulse deficits, and uh, pulse arsenic. Now, pulse deficits. How do you obtain a pulse deficit? A pulse deficit is the difference between the apical and the radial pulse. Remember, difference between the apical and the radial pulse. And you're gonna assess them simultaneously. So you have two nurses. You're gonna start counting at the same time. 
One nurse is going to be counting the radial pulse, and one nurse is going to be counting the apical pulse. So for one minute you're counting, then you're going to be comparing the number. And that number that you obtain is the pulse deficit. Okay, so, so if you have a 60 apical and 80 radial, then you, you subtract it. So it's the difference between, what did I say? So how, how, how would you do that? How do you subtract it? So just, it's kind of tricky. So it's radial minus the apical. Okay, radial minus the apical. So what is the number going to be in the top? The apical? minus the radial, okay? So that is how you obtain a pulse deficit. But you see it as the difference? Shock or they're bleeding. 
What signs and symptoms? Hypotension. And uh, increased heart rate, anxiety. Okay, we might even note some uh, um, pyrexia. Okay, so what can affect the blood? What can affect the vitals? What can affect? What type of activities can affect their vitals? We said medications already. It's not an activity, but can affect their vitals. What else can affect their vitals? Exercise can affect their, their vitals uh, greatly. Now medication, we spoke of our cardiac medications, uh, diuretics, the weight and the blood pressure. How about the bronchodilators? What will the bronchodilators do? Decrease heart. So we're all, increase heart rate, I'm sorry. Increase, so we're always monitoring before and after. Okay, we give a bronchodilator. So before the albuterol treatment, you're gonna know that you're gonna collect the, the heart rate. So that's why it's very important to know what medications they're on. It's gonna be dependent on your assessment. And documentation. Documentation. That's it. I already covered the deficit. So okay. Uh, respiration. So one respiration accounts for one inspiration and one expiration. That's one ex one respiration. So what does it supplies oxygen to all to the body and to all vital organs, and it eliminates carbon dioxide. Fa again, factors that uh, influence respiration: increase in exercise, increase in anxiety, increase in pain, increase in smoking. You wait at least 30 minutes if they've been smoking, eating, wait at least 30 minutes, exercising, wait at least. And positioning themselves can also affect medication, can increase or decrease their vitals. Any neural injury can decrease their vitals. Low hemoglobin, hyperventilation. Hyperventilation, what is it affecting? The respiration rate and depth. Okay? Hypoventilation. So in hyperventilation, it increases the rate and depth. And in hypoventilation, decreases the rate and depth. Where would you see hypoventilation? What is your, if you know hypoventilation, what, is, what are you gonna be looking into? Hypothyroid? Hypothyroid, what else? What else can bring down the respirations? Hypothermia. Especially in a hospital setting, narcotics. <coughs> Maybe they got a little bit too much morphine. Okay, so that's what we're going to be assessing. Uh, to, so we're going to be assessing their uh, respiration, morphine, dermal, dilated. That's what we're looking into. <coughs> okay, I am halfway done. You're not going to be too sad about this, though. Okay. We're gonna take a quiz, <laughs> but we're gonna take it together.
initial visit with a 56-year-old female who has recently moved into your area. She denies any chronic or acute illness. You must collect the appropriate vital sign data and evaluate your findings. This is your quiz, okay? So we're going to follow here with the questions. So the primary reason for assessing the patient's vital sign is to establish a baseline when the patient reports no specific health-related problems, determine the presence of any acute or chronic illness or disease process, initiate the nursing process. A. Raise your hand. A. Ooh, majority. B. C. Okay, let's select A there. Correct, there you go. So it's to establish baseline when the patient reports no specific health-related problems. So this is what we're assessing. Okay, so we go to question two. Which of the following accurately describes body temperature? A, the difference between heat produced by and lost from the body, the total amount of heat produced by the body, the amount of heat produced by the body, plus the amount of heat lost to the external environment. A, B, C, got more Bs. I got more Bs than CBs. Okay, so B, the total amount of heat produced by the body is this, although the amount of heat produced by, see, although, Okay. <laughs> Although the amount of heat produced by the body is one component of temperature, body temperature is the difference between the amount of heat produced by the body process and the amount of heat lost to the external environment. So which one was the one? A, A the difference between heat produced um, by and lost from the body. Okay, so. Which of the following temperature is within the normal range for adults and is documented correctly? A, T equals 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit. B, T equals 99.6 degrees Fahrenheit. And then it's oral. C, T equals 101.0 degree Fahrenheit and oral. A, whose A says it's correct? B. Please. Correct, it's within normal range, okay? And we need to identify oral, axillary, tympanic, rectal. Which of the following is true regarding assessing the patient's pulse? A, the human pulse is palpable bounding of the blood flow in a peripheral artery. The normal pulse range for a resting adult is 50 to 110 beats per minute. Three components that the nurse should include when documenting the pulse are rate, rhythm, and depth. To calculate the pulse of a patient whose rhythm is irregular, the nurse should count the pulse rate for 30 seconds and multiply by two. So who are the A's? B. C. And D's. We said C, I think majority was C. <coughs> Three components that the nurse should include when documenting a pulse are rate, rhythm, and depth. Appropriate documentation of pulse includes rate, rhythm, regular or irregular, and volume. 
full week ready bounding on a scale of zero to four. And if necessary, wall elasticity, hard and inflexible. And we chose, which one did we choose? No, oh, we chose, um, and the correct answer, which? A. The human pulse is palpable bounding of the blood flow in the peripheral artery. It's just the definition. So I tried to trick you. Can you see the NCLEX questions now? <laughs> so, and these are, are basic. You have to look at the whole picture. <coughs> Question number five. Will your assessment of respiration provide information about your patient's ability to intake carbon dioxide and to expel oxygen? A, B. Correct, correct, okay? Respiration is a mechanism a person uses to introduce oxygen into the body while expelling carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. Which of the following is true regarding assessing a patient's respiration? A, it is best to inform the patient that you are assessing her respiration. B, respiration equal 14 per minute, normal, regular, is an appropriate documentation of a patient's respiration. Occurrence of periods of apnea in an older adult is normal respiratory finding. D, anxiety and acute pain are two factors that should not affect a patient's respiratory rate. How many A's? How many B's? Okay, I think I saw a lot of B's. C's and D's. Okay, so I saw the majority was a B. Appropriate documentation of respiration includes rate, rhythm, and depth. Which of the following describes a systolic pressure? A, the force, blo the force blood exerts on the wall of blood vessels during both, both, read everything, both contraction <laughs> and relaxation phases of the heart. B, the pressure exerted by the blood during the heart's contraction phase. The pressure exerted by the blood during the heart's relaxation phase. So A's, B's, and C's. Okay. So we have to read everything very carefully. Now we're getting there, we're almost getting there. Question eight, you recorded your patient's blood pressure as 166 over 88. Is this within normal range for an adult? So you measure it again, okay? So which of the following questions would be appropriate to ask your patient before you reassess, reassess her blood pressure? What is your usual blood pressure rating? Have you eaten anything within the last hour? Did you drink any tea, coffee, or soda within the last half hour? Are you currently experiencing any emotional stress such as fear or anxiety? Have you smoked 
within the last to 15 minutes. So which of the following questions would be appropriate to ask your patient before you reassess the blood pressure? So, nine, okay. So, A, what is your blood pressure reading? Have you eaten anything within the last hour? Did you drink any tea, coffee, or soda within the last half hour? Are you currently experiencing any emotional anxiety or fear? Yes. And have you smoked within the last 15 to 30 minutes? Yes. So, blood pressure, no. Right. This one, yes. No, no, no. This one, yes. This one, and this one, yes. Wow. <laughs> yes. So, um, why would you ask if you were assessing? So you should already know your baseline pressure. Why would you ask again? When you're reassessing? When you're doing the assessment, and that's when you get out to the clinical field. You usually do ask, what is, what is your usual reading? So then they'll tell you, I read pretty high, or I read pretty low. That's why you would ask them. This is, that, that, that's why I introduce you to this quiz, because you get to see, oh my gosh, I thought I could do it. And it was gonna be black and white, then once you practice these, you're like, oh my gosh, what is this? When you're out, when you are, you do ask how they're reading it, 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 they give you an idea. That way, that's where you, if they say, no, I've never had high blood pressure, and then you're obtaining the blood pressure and it's reading very high. Would it increase your awareness if they tell you that they've never been told that they have a high reading? Or if they said, yeah, you know, they've always told me that my blood pressure went, runs high. Would it increase your awareness where they say, no one has ever told me that my blood pressure is high? So it gives you an indicator on your assessment. So we're not, in health assessment, it's still a little bit black and white, but then you have this, these questions where you have to look at everything and critical thinking starts to take into play. When we go to fundamentals, it's going to be more of this critical thinking skills where you're gonna, it's no longer gonna be as black and white. As this vital was 120 over 80, this respiration was 60. It's more, now you have this, quote, you read the question of what it's asking, you have to answer which of the selections is gonna provide you with the best care <coughs> that you're gonna deliver the patient or what is gonna help the patient even more. Have receiving from the patient what their usual reading, what they read, would that help them? It help you in helping them? So that's how you're gonna be looking at the question now. You're gonna be looking at the answers of which answer is gonna provide me with the best outcome for the patient. I'm gonna <coughs> tell you right now, your questions, there's either gonna be two right answers and you're gonna say those two are right answers, but I don't know which one it is you're gonna have those two right answers. You might have two obvious that are not. You're like, no, no. You might have three that look, either one can go. You might, all four might look like this is the answer. Which one is it? 
out of those, let's say you come down to two. I, I know it's one of these two, I don't know which one, but it's one of these two. Think, read the question, read the question, look at those two answers. Of those two answers, if you perform it, put yourself out in the field, of those two answers, if you perform it, which of those two selections is gonna give you the best outcome for your patient? That is how you're gonna read your question. Which one is gonna give you the best outcome for, uh, for the patient's care? Okay, so I don't know if you haven't done prep use. If you've done prep use, you've already experienced some of these questions. I still see some questions and I think I'm right. I'm like, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. And, and then they give me the rationale and I'm oh, okay. So um, there's still some questions where I debate, I'm like, if you're wrong, you're wrong, and the book got it wrong. Yeah, yeah, it's wrong, it's wrong. So, and then I, I re read the rationale and then go, oh, it's like, oh yeah, you were right. Okay, so you're still gonna experience that. So it's gonna take practice. Have you done the previews yet or yes. not? Yeah? Yes. So continue with the practice, do your ATIs as well. So let's look at the rationale here. So, what is your usual blood pressure reading? Asking the patient for this is for information would help establish the patient's baseline blood pressure. Okay? Um, have you eaten anything? You said no to that one. We were good. Did you drink? That was one of the selections. It got it right. Are you currently <coughs> any emotional stress and anxiety? And have you eaten in, within the last, have you smoked within the last two, 15 to 30? So, this is the rationale why. It just gives you what, uh, will it help you in your assessment? Yes, it will. So that's a better outcome. Okay, we're almost done. One more, one more. How long would you wait before assessing your patient's blood pressure on the same arm? Yes, I hope you don't wait 10 to 15 minutes. Okay, and, and make sure you write your name. If not, you won't get your 100, okay?